Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Go back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Lamarie, Steve Bear, Stephen Means talking what we learned from the Ohio State offensive coaches. Go back and listen to your Wednesday podcast for what we learned from defensive coaches when we had a big batch of interviews on Tuesday. On this podcast, we'll talk about discussions with Brian Hartline, offensive coordinator, receivers coach, Corey Dennis, the quarterback's coach, Justin Fry, the offensive line coach, maybe a little Tony Alford at running back, Keenan Bailey at tight end. And Hartline is of note, uh, but we'll save that for a second because we'll start with some football stuff and we'll start on the offensive line and we'll start with the conversation with Justin Fry. And I think Again, in terms of football news, the idea of since spring football ended, Ohio State brought in another tackle candidate in Joshua Simmons from San Diego State, who started at San Diego State at right tackle last season, had been recruited out of high school by Justin Fry at UCLA. So this was a guy that Justin Fry knows. And when he went in the portal, it was a guy that Ohio State went after pretty quick and pretty hardcore. Other schools interested in him as well, Nathan. We've covered the idea of Josh Simmons landing here, and I think our listeners, Ohio State fans, know he's in the mix. He is a candidate to start at right tackle, just like Tegra Shabola and Zed Mahalski are. What was the vibe that you got from Justin Fry in the conversation about what do you think Justin Fry thinks of this guy, and, and what do you think of what Justin Fry thinks of why he was needed here? Well, I think why he was needed here was obvious. They just needed more guys, more options, more more talent at that position, at both tackle positions. Because it's, yes, he's a candidate at, at right tackle, but that doesn't mean, uh, I think, for sure that he isn't a candidate at all at left tackle or that he couldn't be in the mix there as a backup down the line. You know what I mean? They just needed more talent at both of those spots. And this is a guy that he knew from their interactions before. They're both on the West Coast. Uh, Simmons had gone to a camp at UCLA. Uh, this is from when I talked to Josh Simmons telling me about, you know, this story. And so there was already a connection there. And I think that we've seen that payoff for Ohio State in the transfer portal in, in so many different ways. And sometimes it's when you have a really tight relationship with somebody like maybe Lorenzo Styles, where you have a lot of familiarity. And here it's more of like a, a casual familiarity, but, but one that resonated both with the player and I think the coach in the long term. So there, as we've talked about throughout this whole process, there weren't just an abundance of guys that were available, and especially an abundance of guys who maybe weren't pulled regionally to stay one place or the other. And this is one that I think fit for everybody. Okay. Well, so this is like what we want to talk about. Like, what what did we learn that's new? Like, we, what did we learn new from the conversations? Here's what I wasn't at Justin Fry, but I listened. I went back and went through the transcript. He said, twitch, burst, good length. It feels like Justin Fry thinks Josh Simmons is a good athlete. It, it felt like Justin Fry conveyed that idea. Now, again, they say it about everybody, but I thought maybe you believed him on this. And then I, it did feel like it just confirms things. I don't. It's not like you would never take a guy in the portal that you didn't recruit out of high school. But it sounded like it felt, Nathan, like the way Justin Fry talked about it, it's reassuring to him because you can look at film and say, oh, I don't know. It looks like length burst twitch on film. But it 
he might be here anyway. They needed help. If he could, he could be from Alaska and Justin Fry has never seen him before and he might be right. here. But it, I thought you got a sense of comfort from Justin Fry. But then I thought he talked about Josh Simmons in a way that maybe led you to believe he'd be here no matter what. But man, this is almost like a really good portal match because it's A, athleticism. At Ohio State, that's what matters most. But it is B, relationship. And both those things are at play here. I just, I, I it felt like Justin Fry kind of had a little juice about this dude. Well, yeah, and I, I, I got that too because you're coming out of the spring. This is the most maligned uh, position group on the team, and some of that is all relative. When you see so many things going so well at so many other ways, and all the question marks started to just sort of pile up at at the offensive line, and I think bringing in someone, and we don't know what his ceiling is yet. I think that'll obviously time will tell on that. He was at a lower level program and was a starter, but still a lower level program. We'll see what that actually means. But like I said before, I think this was just another, you're adding another potential answer. When you don't know whether you have the answer, I think having more options is going to be reassuring. Yeah. No, but we, I like, like, I, I want to make sure we talk about the stuff that's new. We know, we know that they, they're, the tackles are a lot crazy in the air. What did we learn from Justin Fry? Like, I thought, the other thing he said, he and Justin Fry is very hard to crack. He he d- dives into the coach pick, as we said, but he did say, to your point, Nathan, like he was like, well, left, right, I don't know, left, maybe this this could be that. He did, Stephen. He was repeating best five, best five, best five, best five. He was talking about it. Of could Matt Jones play center? Yeah, he could play center. Could a guard play tackle? A guard could play tackle. Could a right? And I think Stephen, he's just talking to get through late May interviews. Jerry, what are you making me do? I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I have to give it. But I also kind of think it's worth reinforcing because we have seen it. And then he said it. I think we do need to be prepared for the offensive line in the opener against Indiana to not be what we think it's going to be right now. And it might be one different name and three different positions. And I did feel like he really was conveying, I don't know. Like he could have just sat down for 30 minutes and said, I don't know the whole time. And as much as it's coach speak, Stephen, I also think I kind of believe him. I believe half of it. I, I do. I do think there is a chance that like if Matthew Jones is the, is playing center, when we get there in the fall, Ina Wahamahi is the right guard and Donovan Jackson is the left guard. I won't be shocked. But I also won't be shocked if Carson Hensman just locks down that job and Matthew Jones and Donovan Jackson stay put it where they're at. I won't be shocked if Josh Fryer is at right tackle and Simmons is at left tackle or vice versa. There's options here on the table, but it does feel like the way he talked about Simmons, I don't necessarily think he talked about Shibola. Or Zen Moholsky like that ever when we got at, when we asked him about the, him earlier this spring. It was just more like, yeah, they're developing, they're coming along type of coach speak. While this one, he, I mean, we, we, it's not to the level like with the CJ Hicks and Gay Power scene, but one, it's always when you talk about a guy and you say specific things that make him good, I think that should make your ears perk up a little bit. And he talked about Simmons in that way of things that make him good. It wasn't just like the basic, yeah, we're going to bring him in. We've got all these options, yada, yada, yada. He got straight to the point of why he likes Simmons. So it makes me think that he's going to be one of the best five. 
So, but he did say, so again, I wasn't there, but I went through the transcript. He said this about Tegra Shibola. He's going to have a really good career ahead of him. And he's put himself in position to be there right now. And then he said something off the transcript. Uh, the transcript also called Tegra Shibola Tiger Woods. So it's not perfect. <laughs> so I did. But I did think if I'm looking for. Tegra's not that big yet. I make, I, right. We're always, it's like, oh, well, you know, the car accident really, really set Tegra back. I think he's had some back problems. Like, Justin, that's Tiger Woods. It's not Tegra Shibola. We don't care about Tiger Woods. I thought that was some interesting specific praise for Tegra Shibola because that gets back to the way we've talked about Tegra Shibola, which is, are you a guy who's competing for a starting spot who maybe kind of you never thought he was going to be a starter here? Or you are a guy who everyone expected to be a starter here and you're early. Justin Fry, the way he said that on Tuesday, I thought doubled down. I'm like, listen, this guy's a starter at Ohio State. And he had a good spring. And Nathan, he's putting himself in position to be the guy now. That caught my ear. And, and, I didn't put in Zen. I should let well, put in Zen. I didn't see a Zen comment along those lines. So I am now officially on alert for could just Josh Simmons and Tegra Shibola be in your best five? You move Tegra back inside. Like if we start, mm-hmm. like we're starting to do stuff, mm-hmm. maybe like the center thing's just a little iffy. Boom, Matthew Jones inside. Boom, Tegra Shibola to right guard. Boom, Josh Simmons at right tackle. Stuff starts to piece together. Maybe like Josh Fryer, and we'll get to Josh Fryer, but just say, hey, like they think, you know what? I think Josh Simmons is actually our answer at left tackle. Because again, Justin Fry said, left, right, I don't know. And you say, okay, you know what? Josh Simmons is going to left, and Tegra Shabola is going to play right tackle. And like we believe in both those guys. And, I, and we'll get to Josh Fryer. But like Nathan, if we're, if we're having A, the belief that it could be what we don't think it's going to be, we're on alert for that. And B, who we putting in the pot, mix it around. Who's in the offensive line stew right now? Based off Tuesday, I would have Josh Simmons as an ingredient, and I would have Tegra Shabola as an ingredient. Now, again, probably have six or seven ingredients. And and I'm not saying that Zen Mahalski's not there. It might just be the way questions were asked, right? We're reading between lines. But I thought stuff popped on Simmons and stuff popped on Shabola that made me think Justin Fry maybe is feeling pretty good about those two guys, for example. Yeah, I think what we still don't know, though, is is whether that is in a vacuum or whether that's relative to the other options, right? But I think I, 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 I think the way he talked about Shibola was not significantly different than the way that they've been talking about him all along. But you're talking about there, a second-year guy with a really bright future. I think it, it's, it's not insignificant that you get to the end of the spring and it has reinforced that at least he's on schedule for that long term. I think what remains to be seen is whether that's good enough to beat out one of these veteran guys for the short term. All right. So what do we think about Josh Fryer then? Like what, what did we think? Did anyone get Did you get a read, Nathan? What was your read on sort of like Justin Fry's evaluation of Josh Fryer, who certainly is the leader at left tackle at the moment? Well, yeah, I mean, he point blank got, I mean, you couldn't have got a more point blank question. Yeah. How do you, how would you feel about Josh Fryer right now? If he was to be the starting left tackle and with no hesitation, he said, very. So that's a a vote of that's confidence from very what very what very uncertain very confident very, no, very freaked confident. out oh yeah sorry oh, said confident confident yeah. was in the question 
I think so. I may have misread the I question. You said, sorry, how would you feel? Sorry. How would you feel? I feel very. <laughs> I feel My very. apologies. You're That's right. a heck of a I, quote. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. There's another. So I, how would I, you? <laughs> I didn't. I couldn't play the quote. I was trying to read it off the transcript, and it doesn't have the right word there. So, again, it's a Tiger Woods problem. But, yes, he was basically asked, how how would you feel? How confident would you be in Josh Fryer being the starting left tackle on opening day? He said, very. And it went into okay. some other things about the fact that he's also a squad leader that was voted on by his teammates. Other um, examples of where there is confidence in Josh Fryer. And this goes a little bit back to the conversation that we were having the other day about um, the, the the dominance that defensive line had during the spring and what does that mean for this offensive line. It's, it's the opposite of what we were talking about with the, the secondary a little bit and the way that that offense worked last year. And, and, and Fry addressed that and said that, yeah, we lost these guys. I mentioned this on yesterday's pod. You know, we lost these guys, but it's Ohio State. There's already still good guys here, and I'm the one who has to fix it. I'm the one who has to find them and get them in the starting lineup and make this offense work. So Josh Fryer, I think, I from the way that he talked yesterday, my assumption is still that that is the guy who – it's left tackle is his job to lose right now. Okay. I do think it's worth keeping in mind. It certainly makes sense to us. I think the way we read it is Friars a left tackle. We know George Fitzpatrick was the second team left tackle in spring. We know Tegra Shabola and Zen Mahalski were battling at right tackle in the spring. We believe Josh Simmons, who was the starting right tackle at San Diego State last year, is here to join the more uncertain right tackle battle. But it might not be that simple. And I and I do think we just it, we at least have to keep that in mind. And then I do think we have to keep in mind, again, sort of like the depth of options. And when you're making a two deep and that kind of thing, he was talking at center, right? Jacob James was out for the spring. He's like, ah, oh, Jacob James will be back. We have Vic mm-hmm. Cutler there. But Carson Hinsman was running with the ones at center in the spring. And somebody was saying like, well, if you needed to, could one of the backup centers play guard? Because it feels like, okay, well, you knock Vamahi is probably the th- your third guard behind Matt Jones and Donovan Jackson right now, but maybe a center could help there. And if you were really making a Jeff, who's like your two at left guard. I do think still, Steven, right? There's just, there's some names. Let's, let's do this. We, we're, you know, we got vacations coming. We're making schedules. Hey, when are we going to do this podcast? We have something, we have a cool thing planned. We have a retalkables planned. We have some stuff coming. And we also have to start getting back into some market down Mondays. So let's do a trial run on a market down Thursday. And we're not, we're just marking down chaos or not. It's a very simple markdown. So this is the question. This is the assumption. I would say the assumption among the Ohio State media, Ohio State fans, is Josh Fryer left tackle, Donovan Jackson left guard, Carson Hensman center. Matthew Jones, right guard, and the winner of the Tegra Shabola, Zen Mahalski, Josh Simmons battle at right tackle as the starter. That's your starting five offensive line for Indiana and the presumed offensive line for the season. Steven, that or the field for the opener against Indiana? Let's mark that down. And that's given you three options at right tackle. We're not asking you to pick a right tackle. We're saying the winner mm. of that job. But the other four, as we said, are you taking that or are you saying, no, I'm actually expecting a complication? I'll take that. And some and, and a lot of it is it's less about the tackle thing 
and more about Carson Hinsman and me thinking about Luke Whipler and like they got the best out of he got thrown into a position that they weren't expecting him to be thrown into and it's like fine let's just go with the young guy and they got two years out of it and the lo- logic worked the first time and if it seems like it's headed in that path this time around why fix what isn't broken just go with the young guy and you get multiple years out of him being your starting center okay yeah Steven I- takes the assumption Nathan I'll I'll take the assumption too and it's even stronger for me if you talk about those three interior guys and then Josh Fryer starting. Because I think that's the important thing to remember here too, is that Josh Fryer came into the spring as with as much confidence that he belonged on the offensive line as anyone. And he Mm -hmm. was then the one making a conversion going to left tackle and playing a tougher position. So the assumption is that's where he'll end up, right? I just still think that, that he is one of their three best offensive linemen potentially. So he's got to be no, on there. But I'm not giving you that. Somewhere. That doesn't count. You don't get to say Fryer somewhere. No, Fryer no, no. I did, tackle I was, or not. Yeah, yeah. That was just yeah. my that was just my addendum. But no, I'm I'm taking the assumption. No addendums. I'm Buckeye taking the talk. assumption. No addendums. Okay. <laughs> because to me, right, they, the whole thing is they don't have a left tackle. So what they've done is take the guy at the top of the list and say, you're going to be the left tackle. So, and we had this conversation before. So the idea that like, oh, Josh Fryer, he didn't work out at left tackle. We're going to make somebody else do it. Josh Simmons, who's never played there. Zen Malski, who's never played there. Tegra Shabola, who actually might be a guard. George Fitzpatrick, who nobody thinks is a one right now. They're going to be the left tackle. And we'll just move Josh to right. Like, I just don't, that doesn't make sense to me. Because if Josh Fryer can't do it, well, like uh, he has to do this or it's not working out. Which is the very can you can almost take him going very a multitude of different ways because he could have given a different answer than that. He could have gone coach speak with it and we'd probably be sounding the alarm of what you're talking about here. It's like their best option is like, Ugh, we're not really sure. But I, the very is and some of it is it's coach speak, but he could have given a, a different answer than that. He didn't have to well, invoke that much confidence in Josh Pryor in May. He didn't have to do that, but he did. You, you could argue that very is coach speak because I don't know Josh, Justin Fry that well, but I don't see him saying, eh, he, I don't I know, know, but like you got to, like, he's not going to respond but, that but, way. But, but, but as the guy who's the master of coach him, speak like this, yeah. you got to, you know. I, I understand. And as the guy who was standing next to him, I definitely took the entirety of the answer and other things he said about Josh Fryer to be legitimate confidence in where he is going and where he has come from uh, the start of the spring. So I, I, I took it to be sincere. Yeah. Yeah. He's not going to say, Ugh. but he could have said, hey, Josh is working really hard. I really like where he is. This is a battle, though. We're going to continue this battle into August and all our guys are mm-hmm. working their butts off. He could have said that. He which is the safer, which is actually yeah. the safer answer in in May, quite frankly. Yeah. You can say I have confidence in all our guys. I know we're yeah. going to have a great offensive line because we have a lot of guys who are working hard and fighting it out. So you could have said that. Okay. Um, continuing on the offensive line, they still just have a lot of dudes. And Nathan, right? Was it you who was asking Justin Fry? Like, do you think you're going to lose anybody else in the portal? And then sort of making the point of. Don't you kind of have to lose guys in the portal because you guys are over on numbers? And he basically said, go talk to Mark Pantone about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was trying to like poke and prod him from different angles to get him to maybe betray something there. And, um, you know, those guys who we've talked about before who are, you know, fourth year guys who are lower on the depth chart, those guys are still part of the program right now. 
But the overall vibe that I get from talking to the assistants is that this isn't an issue. It's obviously going to get figured out. It's not like there's going to be a problem about the the roster. And it only it just goes to reason that when you look across the roster, both from how many they need and have at that position and the specifics of some of the players at that position, I don't think all these offensive linemen make it to opening day. Well, but still, we only have a one over. It's not like they're four over on the number, yeah. right? You can have 85 scholarships. Our, our Cleveland.com Ohio State scholarship chart has them at 86. So it's not Without, like they, they, they ha- they've had enough attrition yeah, yeah. elsewhere. And that's not including Avery Henry in that right. math, correct? Well, it doesn't right. include Lorenzo Styles right, right so, now. Either. Yeah. Which is, and as we've discussed, they might bring in Lorenzo Styles, have him not be on scholarship for the fall, mm. letting him know you'll be on scholarship for the winter for sure, but just chill out a little bit. So so it's not a desperate situation. I mean, if they were at 88 or 89, it would be like Justin Fry, like this is not, it's not feasible. And they're not there. They're more in the realm of like, it'll work itself out. Okay. So that's the offensive line discussion. Is there anything else? Right. We we covered varies. We covered, uh, you know, we covered the semantics of discussing the offensive line in late May for a guy who doesn't want to give anything away. So when we come back, we'll talk about Brian Hartline next on Buckeye Talk. Brian Hartline, this was the first chance to talk to him since he was taken to the hospital after having an accident in an off-road vehicle on his property, where he then said after the fact in the police report that he had been drinking, there have not been any charges filed. Why don't we just, Nathan, give the update because you're the guy who keeps checking in on this. Where do things stand? I think people by now know what we're talking about. Brian Hartline had a vehicle accident that required him to go to the hospital. He's okay, but that doesn't mean that it's over. No, and I, I talked to someone, uh, the spokesperson for the uh, Delaware County Sheriff's uh, Office yesterday or Tuesday before those interviews, and the latest update I got was that there kind of isn't an update right now. The investigation is ongoing. They are waiting for, I think, materials or something that is kind of out of their control right now. I don't know if that's something coming from Brian Hartline or, or what. So uh, we're just kind of in a holding pattern waiting to see if something else happens. So how, what we're waiting on, what we're waiting to report on, and we're just reporting on what other people decide. We're not, we don't have a a horse in this race, is the decision of whether Brian Hartline will be charged with anything. Potentially, would he be charged with DUI? Because as you have covered before, Nathan, in a story on this podcast, just because you're on your own private property doesn't mean that a DUI couldn't apply here. So that's what we're waiting for. To, to set the groundwork here, Nathan, how big of a difference do you believe there is between Brian Hartline facing a charge in this incident and the decision to not charge him in this incident? Because that's all that's left. And then do you believe that that decision could have an effect on any decision Ohio State makes about him? Well, I think it's pretty significant uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, if you're talking about just in terms of reputational things and negative recruiting and those sorts of things, Brian Harline's a pretty big deal in college football, obviously. Like he's he's climbed to the top of the, you know, where the assistant coaches best position coach in the country, some would argue, um, or at least one of them, has now gotten this promotion to offensive coordinator as a rising star in the business. And if this becomes a thing where there are no charges 
And I, I think it'll be a pretty a thing that gets kind of just dismissed in the larger conversation. It'll just move on to the next thing. If there are charges, I think Ryan Day probably has to apply some discipline. And if that involves missing games, a game or more, now you're talking about interrupting this trajectory that has been going through the whole offseason, where Ryan Day was stepping back, promoting him to offensive coordinator, starting to at least think about entrusting him with play calling. And if he's not there to call plays against Indiana or Youngstown State or whatever to start the year, then do you give him that job back when he comes back? Like we're, we're getting really speculative because obviously no charges have been filed, but just take the names off of it. And it's not a personal thing, but just as you're, as you're looking at any college staff around the country and you look at that same scenario, does this mean that Ryan day doesn't get to have sort of the succession plan that he wanted and the kind of restructuring of the staff that has been in play for the last six months? Okay, Steven, I want your opinion on this, but I just want to stop for a second because you're, Nathan, you're saying, ah, it's just speculation, but you are speculating that, like, maybe Brian Hartline doesn't call plays this whole year because he gets charged with this. I I don't think that's possible at all. Like, do you you actually think, I think if he gets charged, he might get suspended for a game. And Ryan Day would say, um, makes the same decision about the long-term play caller thing, but maybe Brian Hartline's not on the sideline against Indiana. And Ryan Day calls him, and that's it. You think that it could change the course of Ryan Day's decision about this based on a charge? Like, I know it's just speculation, but that's where your head goes? Well, I think it depends on the number of games a little bit, right? If it's no, one but game. the number I... of games is decided by Ryan Day. Like, like okay. give me the actual plausible worst case scenario. He's charged with DUI. You think the most the, the thing that could actually happen that would have the greatest effect on Brian Hartline's career and the Ohio State season would be what? You think if he was suspended for three games, would he call plays against Notre Dame? But it's up to it's up to Ryan Day, right? So it's up to Ryan. Day. There's no number. So you're saying like, well, what if he was suspended until noon at the uh, on the day of the Notre Dame game? Would he you- call plays that night? It's like, well, Ryan Day wouldn't suspend him that way. So you think. But Did what Ryan, do you think? Do you think that a three-game suspension would be reasonably possible in your mind? It seems that seems As like it would be harsh. It be it seems like it would be long based on what we know about the situation. Okay, I just think you're throwing out like that part of the speculation that I think is like zero percent. I think it's one percent. Oh, it's not zero. That he has a long enough suspension. I think it's like a one-game suspension. You th- yeah. you think a more significant suspension is is no 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 I'm saying, possible. I, no I was saying no I think one is probably about the right I'm just saying that I think it's more than a zero percent possibility that it would affect how Ryan Day is thinking about how this is being structured going forward at least for this season why why uh because um for any number of reasons i think there's there's logistical things there i think there are also like do does do you think this guy is ready for this responsibility and you think that hinges on whether he's charged or not um well no that's I, I just, a, that's a fair I, I point that's a fair are, point I, I listen to the thing listen so Ryan Day's not going to announce anything until the the police part right. of it's settled right. Ryan Day might have already decided exactly what he's going to do Ryan Day may have exactly. already exactly right. formed his opinion about what he how this changes or doesn't change his view of Brian Hartline in any way correct correct and now we're just letting because you always wait for the legal process to play itself out because you don't want to do something 
And then it's like, well, I suspended him. Oh, he's not charged. Well, now I unsuspend him. Or I said, there's no suspension. Then he did get charged. Well, now, so you wait. So he may have decided. I'm just saying, I don't want, I don't think it's a thing that Ohio State fans should be like, I think, I think Nathan Baird said it's possible that like Brian Hartline is not going to get to call plays all year if he gets charged with DUI. Like, I just don't, I don't think that's possible. You think there's 0% chance of that? At all. Okay. Yes, I think there is a fairly significant chance. My guess would be, Remember, and and listen, we're going to speculate because it's adults who get paid millions of dollars, and there's like a it's like an actual thing. It's not just football stuff. There are a lot of things that you end up having to do. I think Ryan Day has decided how he views him. Mm-hmm. I think if he gets charged, I think he gets a one game suspension, and I think oh. it's mostly cosmetic and like he's not on the sideline for the Indiana game, but it doesn't affect if he. If Ryan Day really thinks, I don't know if I can have this guy have this much responsibility. I don't think that hinges on a, a charge or not. I okay, think that well, is Ryan Day saying that kind of thing. But so, but I think your example of a what if he suspended for three games, would he call plays for Notre Dame? And if he doesn't call plays for Notre Dame, would he not play calls all season? I don't think that's in the realm of possibility at all. That's fine. Just remember, he has not actually been named the play caller yet. No, I know. So, well, I mean, except that he called plays. I mean, he's been named offensive coordinator and he called plays. There's not a ceremony where they got to put the play caller crown on no, his head. So, but Ryan Day did say, but Ryan Day did say, like, we're going to try this out and, like, you know, right. we're heading that direction. So, right. um, okay. I just, I don't I'm just want saying because people... of that. I'm just saying because of that, I, no, I think I it's among the possible outcomes. This is also his first. But but the way you phrased the outcome originally was like, well, what if he's suspended for so many games that he's not ready to then be the okay. play? And it's like, well, Fair Ryan enough. Day is in charge of all those suspensions. He's in charge of how this plays out. So This is also okay. his first like public issue as an assistant, as an employee at Ohio State. So it's not like Brian Hartline, the assistant coach at Ohio State, has a track record of these public issues to where like Absolutely. now Ryan – To like now Ryan Day is you know, questioning his judgment. It's like – in his mind, he just literally is, oh, you made a mistake, you got charged, one-game suspension, not on the sideline, go home, and then we'll see you next week. Absolutely. That is that. There is nothing. Yeah. He has not had any legal issues before, which leads me to the question of why wasn't Brian Hartline asked about this this way at all? Why wasn't he asked, Brian, do you believe that this situation could affect your responsibilities this season? Brian, how do you believe this might affect how Ryan Day and Gene Smith view you? Brian, how do you think this may or may not affect how teams could potentially use this in recruiting against you? He wasn't asked that. We just had the whole conversation. We just got to talk to him. That's what matters. I know he said, like, he was asked about the stuff. He's like, well, I can't talk about it. We're not asking about the details. We're not asking about the cop stuff. We're asking about your status on this team, which has an effect on this football team and your career, which is incredibly relevant because you are in a high profile position with great responsibility and you're highly paid. And this is just how it goes. And we didn't get there, Nathan. Why didn't we get there with that? I don't know. (laughs) What do you want me to say? Like Like, I I was there asking him questions to the point where he said, I'm not talking about this anymore. And I know, but because he's not going to talk about the cop stuff. He's not going to talk about what happened that night. So, but like his yeah, opinion. Yeah, but that, wasn't, that on, wasn't the line of questioning where he kind of shut things down too. I mean, you you try to 
so take, to get us a feel through, take us through how it went. Take us through from when you were there. How did it go at the table? Like, what was he like when the questions were initially asked about this night? Because it is the first time that we've had any chance to speak with him since this very public thing happened. Yeah, I mean, he, he, so we've got his first questions um, and said something along the lines of, I can't really talk about it. He almost tried to make, I wouldn't say a joke about it. I don't think he was being flippant. I think he was saying, I should have just gone to bed that night. I shouldn't have gone on the side by side. Um, there were subsequent questions. It was me, Bill Rabinowitz and Tim May that were primarily there asking him questions. And after like maybe the second follow-up just about, and I, I'm trying to remember, it was a question that sort of was about, um, um, what, what you've learned from it or, or something along those lines. But he finally said, I am not going to talk about it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go down. I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about it. So, um, and I think there were some other even feelers that, and I, I followed up later and asked some other questions about, did you address this with the team? He said anything that was addressed was going to stay in-house. Um, you know, so there were, we were trying to take him down that road, but it, it, there was only so much he was willing to say in this format. He wasn't asked, Brian, how do you believe this might affect how your bosses view you? Or he wasn't asked, Brian, do you believe this could have any effect on your responsibilities this season? Right? He wasn't asked those. Those are the things that, no. like... And he could say, well, I don't know, I'm not answering that. But, like, that's a football question. Like, that's, like, really important football stuff. So, um, and it's like, we didn't do it. We didn't, he did it. It's like, you know, he could be mad if he gets asked about it. But, like, then don't get in that situation. You won't get asked about it. And players get asked about this kind of stuff all the time. And they're kids. So adults do things, highly paid adults do things. And sometimes you get asked about it. And guess, guess what? Maybe the questions make you uncomfortable. But. So I, I, I wish we would have learned more because that we just had the conversation about what really matters. And like we didn't that conversation, Brian Hartline was not like encouraged to have that conversation. And I think regardless of what does or doesn't happen with the cops, I think that's a very reasonable football conversation to have. So did it did he, did he once it so that ends? Is he like in a what was his mood then, Nathan, about like football stuff? Like, was it like he was same old Brian Hartline? Because again, when we had him in the spring before any of this stuff happened, he was like a little combative and like, you know, like he likes to push back with the media, but we like it like in the, in the, in the media setting. And then he goes over afterward and has like a 10 guys around him for like another 40 minute off the record session. Like he likes to fight. And, and this is all in a good way. He likes to sort of challenge the media but then he'll go over and have a conversation with you. Was it still, and I know both you guys were there. So Nathan first, like, was it that Brian Hartline still, or was he a little more guarded? No, I think it, he was maybe relieved to talk about football things. You know what I mean? Like it, the more, um, com- I wouldn't even say combative, but just the things he bristled at were more about how much he didn't want to talk about the situation. Um, when it came to football things, I mean, we, we went down a number of, roads with him, whether that was things about Marvin Harrison Jr., things about the other receivers, Carnell Tate, Brandon Ennis. I mean, there were any number of conversations that happened um, following that. So um, a a lot of football conversations and uh, even I would say probably even less combative than maybe he was in the spring, because I think, again, he was willing to to take those questions rather than the alternative. Steven, I know you were talking with him as well over there. What was the vibe you got just about, and again, the football stuff, just like how he's feeling about anything? 
Yeah, I, I, he he was. By the time I gotten over there, it was well past a lot of that stuff. So he was just in football mode, and it was pretty good. At least I learned some things. Um, I've probably been on the 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 uh, camp for wide receiver more than maybe anybody else on this beat. Of why don't they do? How are you recruiting a room of wide receivers like this, and you're only habitually putting? Because the reason you're on that is because you don't care about blocking. That's why you're on that. You're like, hey, I like the thing where can we play three quarterbacks and nine receivers? And it's like, Steven, you have to block. So, no, 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 no. We had a legitimate conversation because it was some of it is about the blocking scheme. Because one of the things I asked him was, you guys habitually do stuff. You habitually throw the ball out of running sets, uh, t- traditionally running sets, which is t- 12 personnel, 13 personnel, all those different type of sets. You get under center and you play action for deep shots. Why can't you run the ball out of traditional passing sets, which is what four wide receivers is? You spread everybody out, but then you just hand the ball off. We see teams do it all the time. And he gave a, a, a legitimate answer to it that kind of shaped, shaped my thinking about it because of, especially with this tight end room. When you've got guys who maybe have more receiver backgrounds already and have had to develop the blocking side outside of Kate Stover, you're talking Joe Royer, you're talking G. Scott at that point. It's better to just have those guys out there who can also block at a better level than a lot of your wide receivers can, but also within what their identity is, going for wide receiver very much limits a lot of the things they want to play call just because you only have so much time to practice certain things. And while he did say to me, they do have packages that we will see more and more this year, especially because of the personnel in their wide receiver room. It's not something that can be a week to week thing, because if you're spending time practicing that you're taking away from what their actual identity is. I could have told you that you just never want to hear it. You just no, don't no. want to hear any explanation for why they're not going four wide. No. They want their personnel. When you huddle up with four wide, you're giving some stuff away. But also, yes. Now, the thing that you did say, I mean, when you were now talking about what you and Hartline talked about earlier, some of their receivers can really block. Yes. Right? So it's like if you have guys that you believe in, and it's like, well, we think Emeka Buka is going to wipe a dude out. So if we run out of that, we can do that. Because, again, everybody knows when Ohio State goes five wide – it's three receivers, a tight end, and a running back, and then they just go empty backfield, and they split out the running back and the tight end. Mm-hmm. And it's because that personnel grouping, the personnel grouping is basic, and then it opens a million things up so that you can, if you put four tight – now, to your point, Stephen, to go four wide to run, it's like, oh, if you go four wide, well, they can go dime. They'll put six D- DBs on the field, and then you run it at them. So, great. But mm-hmm. I-, I do think was part of that conversation that they're just not – I mean, anybody would say this. This isn't a shot at Joe Royer and G. Scott. They're just not experienced. They don't have a ton of mm-hmm. reps that, that, that your fourth best receiver might be a more experienced, better football player than your second best tight end. And that that would be part of the thinking if they'd be more open to four wide this season. And we continued our conversation away from the mics. And that's where we kind of dive into it a little bit more. Because it, I, I brought up 2018 was the last time they probably legitimately had four guys that they could just throw out there. But those were different receivers. They weren't as physical. Paris Campbell and KJ Hill on the inside aren't as physical as what this four would be because he's told me that before. It'd be Marvin Harrison and Jaden Ballard on the outside and Julian Fleming and, and Mecca Buka in the slot. Or you put Xavier Johnson in the slot and you keep Julian Fleming outside. Those are four. four outside of Jaden Ballard, the other four are pretty physical. And so you can maybe get away with a little bit more there 
And he agreed. He agreed with me. You can because Emeka Ibuka is physical because Julian Fleming does have more of a blocking background than a receiving background because of where he played at. Because Marvin Harrison is 6'4", 205 pounds. I mean, we saw the block he put on somebody against Indiana when David Johnson had that run. And David Johnson's been in multiple rooms learning how to block. So you can do that stuff. You can be open to that stuff. But he kept going back to emphasizing it's our identity, but also we just really need Joe Royer and G. Scott to come along because we have to be able to do that stuff on game day. Even if that other stuff is interesting to try and we'll do it at times, it can't be, it can't be the, it can't be their bottom line. It has to be something that they pull out here in these little certain situations against good teams. So one of the other things that Brian Hartline talked about, Nathan, is Joe Philbin, which you've written about, you've talked about. And, Former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, who has been hired by Ohio State as a dude in the room. Analyst, whatever you want to name it. It's what college football teams do now. They hire guys with long resumes who are way too experienced for the position. And the guys just come in, work for peanuts, tread water for a little bit in their career. They would either do it at the end of their career to stay attached to the game, or they do it to kind of keep themselves in it while they look for a different full-time job later. We've seen different variations of this. The one thing that Brian Hartline did confirm, Nathan, is that like Brian Hartline, it was his idea. right? And he told Joe Philbin, and he didn't know if it was going to work out, but it's his former head coach with the Miami Dolphins who's going to be in that offensive room now where Brian Hartline is going to be the offensive coordinator, which is just interesting. Yeah, and it is, I think you and I were maybe talking about, like this is – you you can easily see where in that offensive room he is in some ways the fill in for Kevin Wilson, the um, kind of elder statesman. Um, you know, obviously Justin Fry has has taken that run game coordinator now. He'll have a lot of input. Already did in in the run game aspect of of the game plan each week. But but Philbin coming in with and, and it, there's other like he's an offensive line coach. He's also been a tight ends coach in the past. Keenan Bailey was talking about that. Um, you know, Bailey and Fry. Um, who are guys who don't know him the way that uh, Hartline does. Also very impressed with what they've seen and heard from him early on. You know, um, Hartline talking about just how approachable he is for all these guys to be able to go to and and impart a lot of wisdom, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, and, and reach into a lot of rooms. And, you know, we've talked in the past, uh, we've heard from C.J. Stroud about how much, um, you know, Todd Fitch has helped him over the, the course of the years and how much of an influence he was, how much time they got to spend together. And um, this is now a guy who that that is still taken care of because Fitch is still around. He can still have that influence on that half of the game, that part of the game, that 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 kind of insight. And now you're just bringing another guy in who's going to be able to have influence. I mean, especially on the offensive line. That was the thing that jumped out to me right away was someone of Philbin's background in addition to the game planning to have an extra set of eyes and an extra mind around to help them figure out this offensive line, I think could be really impactful. I would say even the tight end work, it feels, I'm glad you brought up Fitz. It's he's Todd Fitz, the Keenan Bailey's Corey Dennis. It's like, like Ryan, Ryan Day's got a million other things to do as well as coach the quarterbacks. So to have an older guy around paired with that younger guy in a room, I mean, we saw it really pay off with Justin Fields and we saw it pay off with CJ Stroud. Can you take that same formula of old analyst, young assistant coach position? And can you see that room elevate because of that? So Joe Philbin, head coach of the Miami Dolphins, 2012, 2013, 2014, goes seven and nine, eight and eight, eight and eight. 
Brian Hartline is like his best offensive player in those years. Mm -hmm. Brian Hartline in 2012 is his breakout year. He has 1,083 yards, 2013, 1,016 yards. Drops off in 2014, 474 yards. Brian Hartline goes to the Browns in 2015, and Joe Philbin gets fired in 2015. So what happens when Brian Hartline leaves him? Canned. One and three start. Joe Philbin's out. Brian Hartline's his good luck term, man. He's like, oh, man, Hartline, I'll stick with him. So, again, I don't mean to mean to Are you foreshadowing? Are you foreshadowing? What am I foreshadowing? <laughs> I'm just joking. Please. You guys with the speculation, it's like Nathan's like, oh, Brian Hartline's not going to call plays and Steven's firing people. It's no. speculation. What I is was that? making a joke of, like, Brian What's Hartline ever leaves. Oh, my if, God. If Brian Hartline ever leaves Ohio State, <laughs> is Brian Day in trouble? But it's just a joke. Oh, no. Joe I don't think it has anything to do with You're Joe like, Philbin. his name list anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so when I was in the room for the offensive meeting last year, and again, just the idea there's everybody sits around the table and it's all the offensive coaches, but all the offensive analysts, the right hand men of all those coaches are right there at the table. There is not really a distinction. Now, they don't talk quite as much, but they're right there. Riley Jeffers was Tony Alford's right hand man as a quality mm -hmm. control or grad assistant guy for the running backs. He was right there. Tim Hinton has been around forever. He's the former tight ends coach. But now he's like, not that, but he's right in the room with that. Keenan Bailey, before he was a full-time coach, was right in the room with that. Todd Fitch is at the table. They're all at the table. So you just think, and the responsibilities, when they get into the nitty-gritty, when I was there, they were watching practice film. So this is like they're figuring out who they are, what they do well, how they're going to do it. And then they're figuring out what's their opponent, what do they do, how are they going to attack it. But they're running through, they run the plays that they're going to run in the game. So what did you do in practice? We ran this play. We want, and there's a, a board with thousands of options of plays. We want to run this play on Saturday. Okay, we ran it in practice. Let's freeze it on the screen. Let's talk about the blocking angles. Let's talk about the, the footwork of the running back. Let's talk about where the quarterback was when he reached to hand the ball off. Let's talk about the tight end in motion, the way he came across. All these things. Every nitty-gritty detail, they want it. They run it in practice. They want to perfect it so they can run it in practice the next day so when they get to the game on Saturday, it'll work. From an offensive line perspective, and Nathan, this is what you and I were talking about, Justin Fry, the offensive line coach, is up at the screen acting out blocks. He's pointing, okay, you want Whippler to turn this way and take this guy? And Ryan Day's in the back of the room saying, well, what if we did this? And then when it was run game, Kevin Wilson was like the 20,000-foot view. Of all those things, Justin fries in the nitty gritty. Justin, can this guy reach, make this block, or do we need to adjust the angle there? Well, let me let me see. We do this. Ke Kevin Wilson might say, "Do we need to adjust that?" Justin Fry acts it out. Tony, can your back do this? Tony Alford's the running back coach saying, "Okay, the back. What if we did this instead?" But when it got to the run game stuff, Kevin Wilson was kind of asking the questions because Kevin Wilson as a tight ends coach. Long-time offensive line coach. He's kind of driving that discussion. It doesn't mean Ryan Day can't do it, and it doesn't mean Ryan Day never did it. But when it's pass game stuff, Ryan Day drives it. When it was run, like Ryan Day, 20,000-foot view, Todd Fitch, Corey Dennis, Brian Hartline, Keenan Bailey, what do you think? Run game, Kevin Wilson, 20,000-foot view, Justin Fry, Tony Alford, what do you think? When you take Kevin Wilson out of there, that's exact right? Joe Philbin with the 20,000 foot view 
hey, it's not that Justin Fry is not in charge of it because Justin Fry is a run game coordinator title. Tony Alford's still intimately involved in the run game. But I think you want somebody in the back, and they are at the back of the table. They're probing. They're asking every little question, every little nitty-gritty thing that the guys in charge of executing it then have to answer. And if Ryan Day, and that's my whole, the thing we've talked about, is Ryan Day in that room less? Because if he's not in that room for four hours every night during the week, that's giving him time to do something else. So Brian Hartline, now Brian Hartline's in the back. On past game stuff, he's probing, probing. Corey, are we good with this? Right? Keenan, are we good with this? Because by the way, Brian Hartline's a receivers coach. Keenan Bell, he's going to be having a lot to say about the receiver play as a Mm -hmm. tight ends coach when Brian Hartline's trying to oversee stuff, right? But who can probe? Who can double check? Who can challenge? I'm bringing in my head coach. Joe comes like Brian and Joe at the back of the I think like it's just the way things connect, Nathan. It really is, Joe, because again, with these analysts that we're talking about, listen, we throw we throw these this stuff at you guys, and I've had people remind me of this sometimes. There's a shorthand of football. Hey, this, that, whatever. And you guys are not you're football fans. You don't know all the nitty-gritty of this stuff. There are 10 full-time assistants. They can coach on the field. They can go out and recruit. It is their full-time job. They can do everything. And then there are a lot of people orbiting around them with lesser roles that tip those people cannot go on the road and recruit. And those people are not supposed to get their hands on guys in practice and be out there doing that. But film, study stuff, in the room teaching, they can be involved in all that stuff, Nathan. So when we say analyst, when we say these kind of positions, it just means you're not coaching a practice and you're not on the field recruiting. But game plan, strategy, execution, teaching, Joe Philbin can absolutely be involved with that. And the idea that Brian, confirming Brian Hartline said, yeah, it was my idea. Makes a ton of sense. I like I like this, Nathan, because it's like, all right, Brian, if this is going to be your room, make it your room. And now I don't always like hiring your friends. You've got to give people an opportunity. But this is kind of a position that's built for people like this. So Brian Hartline knows this guy, trusts this guy. He's not taking an opportunity away from an up-and-comer because this is kind of like an old head analyst thing that coaches that teams do now. I I like this as connective tissue for Brian Hartline's room. Yeah, I mean, you're sort of a coach emeritus in some ways, right? So these tend to be these these older guys, and often there is some kind of connection that goes into their background. The name of the guy that they just hired as a defensive analyst is escaping me, but he and Day had coached together at um, at least one stop along the way, if not two. Like, so there's often a connection. And you know, Keenan Bailey was one of the actual. He he was never called an analyst. He was called, I think, a special assistant. But he had some of these same duties. Um, that sort of analytical input to the offensive game plan before he became the tight ends coach. He was like the one thing to sort of buck the tradition just because they had to find a place to put him. But yeah, and, and I will say though, Brian Hartline also brought up that Justin Fry is someone that he's going to rely on a lot, and especially as it relates to the run game. So that connection, I think also the influence that Justin Fry already had and the input he already had there, I would also expect that to grow this year. I don't think it's Philbin coming in and taking up all of the the Kevin Wilson space, uh, oxygen, whatever you want to say. I think that Justin Fry will probably have an even bigger input than he did before. 
Mike Dawson, who was Dawson, a full-time yes. assistant at Nebraska recently and had coached with Ryan Day both at New Hampshire and at Boston College in the past, is now in that staff. And again, that's one of these things. Not all fans know these the names of these guys. They're in the room. There's like 10 guys at the table. You got to see at the table. So like you matter. And again, you're the, the full-time assistants talk more. But they want it to be, it is collaborative. There are a lot of questions and answers in that session. And so they've added Joe Philbin's voice to that room. Anything else about Brian Hartline that we didn't cover? Because there's one, I want to transition a little bit to some uh, quarterback stuff. If there's not any more specific, Stephen, I know like there's receiver conversation. I think like we got to handle on the receivers. Like, yeah. did Brian Hartline reiterate that the receivers are good? I think I read a quote that he was like, Marvin's good, Emeka's good, Julian's good. It's like, yep, we're good. Yeah, the, I think the, the newsiest thing is Emeka and Julian are back full go at this point, which they were expecting anyway. So, while there, there has a good lot receivers. Of, yeah. There are a lot of, like, just updates on that, that, like, Tommy Eichenberg, Steel yeah. Chambers, Jihad Carter, Emeka, Julian, a lot of these guys who were out in the spring – are back and rolling and able to participate in the off-season workouts and conditioning and will be ready to go for August. It didn't, Nathan, it didn't feel like anything came up where anybody said like, oh, this guy's still not back. No, and I, I, I also asked about Brandon Ennis and how much he had been sort of lurking in the shadows all spring and like hanging out in Columbus and like, well, like, is this just, is he just hanging out or do you think there's anything beneficial here? And he said, no, he thinks that, you know, the, the, the adjustment to campus is not nothing. And the sooner you can get that started and kind of get, get your feet wet and get the process going. Um, so, so for all, everyone who was expecting him to be able to come in this summer and maybe create some noise right away, uh, Heartline's answer would suggest that he's maybe an even better position to do that than he was if he were just coming in on the normal timeline. Brandon Ennis is what we call an unofficial early enrollee. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. I wonder what are the specifics? Like he was living here. Like who's <sighs> to my understanding? Hey, to live here. What's going on? To uh, nil. <laughs> to my understanding, because he was at American Heritage, which doesn't always, to my knowledge, allow the early enrollee stuff. And so things can get weird when you go to a school that always doesn't let you do that. Like Paris transferred to Princeton after being at St. X, they wouldn't let him do it. I think with Tate Martell, because Bishop Gorman wouldn't let him do it, he like transferred to another school for like 24 hours just so he could early enrollee, if I'm remembering that correctly. So to my understanding, that's probably what happened with Brandon in this year, but he was not like actually involved with stuff. Right. But he was just kind of up here, you know? And, so he and was Brandon Ennis, as he, the, the hi, most highly rated receiver yeah. in this recruiting class, Carnell Tate, Noah Rogers, Bryson Rogers were here in the spring. He was not, but it's possible this guy, as right? Like everybody was yeah. uh, on the list of who were people most excited about in the spring. Carnell Tate is very, very high on that list. Mm-hmm. Among the people, among the, the, the Buckeyes that maybe people will be most excited about in August, Brandon Ennis could wind up on that list. Ennis and Cardinal Tate will probably have roles. Now, it might not be a wide receiver because of what they have, but I could see them doing something similar to what Mecca and Marvin did as true freshmen, where they're on special teams, and it's very clear that they're going to win jobs in the upcoming yeah. year. But it's, that's a, it's a big deal that Brandon Ennis doesn't have to walk around here this summer trying to find stuff. 
because he's kind of already acclimated because he's been in the room. He's been, he's been on a weight program already. He just hasn't been on the field. So that's a big deal. All right. When we come back, what did Corey Dennis have to say about the quarterbacks next on Buckeye talk? So Brian Hartline did say he is, I think the quote is confident in the end process at quarterback, which again is sort of like the, I don't know who the quarterback's going to be, but I feel good that he's going to be good. Stephen Corey Dennis, again, there's a lot of, I think this is a reasonable thing to ask the quarterback's coach every single time when you have a quarterback competition, like what's the one guy do good? What's the other guy do good? Just like, mm-hmm. just reminding everybody and asked about Kyle McCord, uh, Athletic kid, big, strong arm, understands the offense. And then like he was asked, like, oh, is he mobile? He's like, yeah, good mobility. And again, then when asked the same question about Devin Brown, it's the same kind of answer. But, Stephen, it does feel like, and this is why we do it, and it's why fans do it, every time someone asks about Devin Brown, the first, the first adjective is athletic. It's mm-hmm. not the first adjective for Kyle McCord. Big, strong arm, understands the offense. Devin Brown, oh, yeah, that too, he's athletic. I, I just, it confirms, I think, the read that people have generally, but it felt like Corey Dennis confirmed it for the 19th time as the shorthand in this competition. It's fun listening to him answer that question every time he gets asked because they kind of like speed past the differences just to get to, they both move the offense down the field. They keep things on skin. They, they kind of try to speed past it so we don't focus on it too much, but yes. I asked him, big, strong arm, moves the ball down the field. And it's with Devin Brown, it's the athleticism. Now, I don't – which one is the wrong answer? Or is there a wrong answer? Or is depending on who wins this battle, does that show a change in philosophy? Or are they sticking to a philosophy? Because while they do 60%, maybe even 80% is similar, that other 20% is a big deal when you're coming off a quarterback where everybody was wondering why he never ran. And it's just one of those things where if you asked a Terrell Pryor question, you would get to athletic pretty quick. If mm-hmm. you asked a Braxton Miller question, you'd get to athletic pretty quick. If you asked a JT Barrett question, you would not get to athletic that quick. You'd get to tough way before you got to athletic. If you asked a Justin Fields question, you'd get to athletic pretty quick. If you mm-hmm. asked a CJ Stroud question, you would not get to athletic very quickly. And so it's it's just a shorthand, Nathan. And I don't think it, in the end, has an effect on the battle because I don't think it's going to be, it's tied, so then what style do you want more? It's not going to be that. Someone's going to win it. But it is just a reminder, right, that, and it doesn't mean that Kyle can't move and it doesn't mean that Devin can't throw, but we're just trying to get a vibe on this, and I think we have absolute confirmation of the vibes around the two quarterbacks. Yeah. And that it really been building to that, that obviousness this whole time. And I think, you know, all those quarterbacks that you mentioned, I think were all the big 10 quarterback of the year. Like Ohio state does it in like every shape and size that you can imagine really a quarterback. And, uh, you know, CJ Stroud almost won a national championship this year, partially because he finally, you know, broke loose. Justin Fields had incredible success at Ohio State, but as much as he's a you know a very mobile quarterback, how much time did we spend on this podcast talking about those uh, sideline throws that he would make on a dart that were you know uncommon aspects too? So I, as we keep looking for like the the uncommon trait, I still don't even know if that's what he will end up saying is 
Devin Brown's uncommon trait. You know what I mean? I don't know if it's if it's magnified to that level. Like, yes, he's like more more athletic and more mobile than Kyle McCord, but is that the thing that would determine that he's the next in that line of Ohio State quarterbacks? I'm skeptical about that. I think you still have to be able to run the Ryan Day offense. And you can how you maneuver within that a little bit is is secondary to being able to be efficient and trustworthy and make the right decisions with his offense. What else did we learn from Corey Dennis, Stephen? Is there anything we hadn't heard before? I mean, it's, I, I think we kind of have a handle on it. Do, do we have a handle on what, where he thinks the competition stands? What, what did we learn? Corey Dennis is still very new to this and you can tell he's trying to figure out how to maneuver media. And I think it's because the first time he ever talked to us, he mentioned Kyle McCord by name and he wasn't supposed to. And so since then he's trying to back off. I was trying to ask questions to get an understanding of the process of how they pick the quarterback. And I understand and I, I kind of even preface this in my answer. I understand like you're not going to wake up one day, someone's going to have an awesome day and then they're going to be the starting quarterback. It's like stacking days and all that stuff. But there does come a point where it pops in your head that maybe this is a guy. And we saw it with, with CJ Stroud. The week before he got announced as a starter, Ryan Day came out and said he's starting to create separation. So, you know, when does that happen? When do you start to see that separation go in a way that you feel comfortable at least thinking about the idea that this might be your guy? And Justin is not a good example because he created separation the day he announced that he was transferring to Ohio State. But with Dwayne and Joe, was there like a moment where you started to see a little bit and you go, okay, now we have to pay attention to that. And maybe – and Corey, he tried his best to really answer that question, but it's probably a better question for Ryan Day just because of where Corey is in his career. But he gave a decent answer. He said, you can't say one player is going to win the job, but certain guys do certain things where you're like, wow, that is that is a skill set and that is the ability that you have to have – that you have to have to be the starting quarterback here. And so they're not there yet. They're still at the everybody worry about their own – progression don't worry about what the other guy's doing don't think of this as a battle think of it as development but there does come a point here where you have to ratchet up that competitive that battle part of this and somebody has to emerge at that and it doesn't happen in the spring yet but it probably should be happening at some point in the first couple of weeks of fall camp because that's when we saw it happen with shroud i have a terrible i have a terrible memory we saw the spring game devin brown didn't play and Two fully open practices, right? You mm-hmm. guys were both. I, I missed the one. Do you remember a moment where either quarterback did something and you said, wow? And I'm not trying to put you on the spot, and I'm not um, trying to say, aha, they don't remember it. The quarterback situation at Ohio State is in disarray. I'm just asking. I'm I'm remembering um... – who was it? There was a there was a bomb down the sideline that Kyle McCord threw, kind of on the move mm-hmm. to his right in one of the practices that I thought was a, a bit of a head turner, uh, eye popper, however you want to say it. Um, that was probably the closest to that that we saw. Um, obviously, there were some other circumstances happening there where the defense was, what the defensive line was doing, the, the receivers that were missing, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think that's a it's a fair point to take. And um, I also, though, don't know that we were wowing about C.J. Stroud yet. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, right, that I think sometimes that you have to get in a real game before you're really wowed. And some of that might just be uh, like we're also a little bit jaded about this to some extent where it's like, oh, you you beat that uh, walk on corner in practice. Good for you. 
What are you going to do when it's Notre Dame? Uh, it, to, since you mentioned CJ Stroud, I thought back in 21, the biggest wild moment anybody had was Kyle McCord when he threw the, the deep ball, the second snap he got in the spring game to Garrett Wilson. Like CJ just moved the ball up the field. You know, he just did the thing they want him to do. I thought so under that gaze of how they're going to pick the quarterback, the wow moment was, I think, the first practice when they went seven, when they went 11 on 11 and Kyle just moved the ball down the field and he went and scored. And then they called it back because they said he didn't score. And then he scored again. And then they called it back because they said he didn't score. And then he pulled it and kept it. And then JT got mad and cursed everybody out and said, maybe we should just hit the quarterback because you're calling read option plays here for what Kyle's game is, yes, it's probably the moment Nathan is saying as far as the wow, maybe that's his special talent, the strong arm, because that's what he is. But for what they're looking for, that was one of the few times where I thought a quarterback did something in spite of the fact that the offensive line was giving him no help. Mm. And that's what you're looking yeah. for. You're looking for the dude who can do it, who can just say, so what? And Justin Fields had so what moments, Dwayne Haskins, so what moments, even CJ Stroud up until, I mean, you took every NFL weapon he had away from him. That Georgia game was a so what moment. Steven, when you say something and you make a point and you yeah, yeah, you sorry. slap your leg, no, I just, leg yeah. or the table? It's, it's either the table or the leg. And Texas have pointed out too, it's like, we love when Steven really gets into it because then he pounds the table. I'm sorry, guys. I, I try to take him out. Because it's love like a job. spike. It's a slap yeah. spike in the middle of the podcast. I'm like, what is that spike when I'm looking yeah. at the audio thing? Sorry. And it's always like Steven hitting something. Maybe I should just leave him in. If the people want it, I can just leave in the slap. I really, love my, I really love my go- job, guys, as you can tell. <laughs> I don't slap anything. Take that for what you will. You yell. <laughs> I, you yell. I slap. Nathan tries to make sense of it all. That's why it works. Fuck I talk. Uh, all right, Nathan, you talked to Keenan Bailey a little bit, and he said Cade Stover is going to set defenses on fire. Uh, well, yeah, well, more or less, actually. I mean, he he made some kind of reference <laughs> in passing Cade uh, Stover, like one of, if not the best tight ends in the country. I'm like, well, you think he could be the best tight end in the country this year? He said, absolutely. And um, okay. that it was also a guy though that you know Cade Stover comes across to us as just like so football forward. And so uh, kind of has that gruff exterior that you would expect from a, a tight end turned linebacker turned tight end turned running back, like whatever, however many positions you want to go back through it. And Keenan Bailey kind of explaining that he had to convince him that he's as good as he is. And that a big part of that was coming out of the um, Rose Bowl in twenty twenty one into 2022 and um some of the um you know converting him back from linebacker to tight end because they really thought that's where the best future for him was and i think obviously then especially within the jim Knowles defense i think that obviously is the case because there wouldn't be a place for him really but um that being able to like get him into being able to get him on the field with some of those receivers some of those elite receivers and put him through the same drills and show him he could do that was was a bit of an eye opener for him and has helped kind of lead him to where he is. And Stover's always credited for him for kind of being behind the breakthrough even before he became the tight ends coach and and helping him have the kind of season he had last year. So now it's like, what's the next step beyond that? And I still think that there are some things that Kate Stover needs to prove as a blocker if you want to talk about being one of the best in the country or the best in the country. 
But it did make me, it did intrigue me to hear him talking about, because as much as he cares about blocking, he's also, Bailey I'm talking about, has also been, like we said, like he's a guy who has been involved with setting up this whole offense, setting up the game plan, and is there another level for Cade Stover as a receiver? I thought last year was an example of him really taking advantage of, of opportunities that were just there within the offense. Does he start to do, does he start to have more wow moments? Wow beyond more than just like when he gets turned upside down and falls on his head um, and, and plays the wild abandon. Like, does he start doing things out on the field that um, are just that next level? I think we know what we're talking about here. He's He's been a very solid player. Does he start to look like, oh, he's making plays that another guy can't make? Steven, Tony Alford, right? Did you talk to him a little bit or run yeah. through some stuff? Deep deep running back room, anything else? Yeah, not a lot has changed from the last time we talked. I mean, this is the deepest room he's had. Uh, he's got four – I mean, there's four guys that are legitimately proven that he can put out there that we've seen with our own eyes. And then there's Evan Pryor who's just kind of been through the ringer here and maybe can get an opportunity here. Um, I, I stopped over for just a little bit, and I, I just – we've heard Travion Henderson's side of things. And I, I, I wanted to come from it from a different perspective. And the thing, just from a personal standpoint, he, he said that I asked him, what, what, what have you maybe learned about Travion that maybe you didn't know in the recruiting process? And he brought up his mental toughness. And he didn't really think he was that mentally tough coming out of high school because I mean, he's 16 years old and you're not supposed to be mentally tough. But he really, Travion Henderson has really showed Tony Alford some things this, this spring, both just as a football player, but as also as a human being that maybe he, didn't necessarily predict back when he was recruiting him as just like a talented running back. But other than that, just kind of the same thing here. It's I've got a lot of guys to choose from. Don't ask me about count number about carries. Cause I don't know. So I think we need to make a pledge here. Mostly for my benefit, my mental health. The next time we have the assistance to talk to as a group, I am not talking to Parker Fleming. Is that okay with everybody? And this is not about Parker Fleming because as it turned out, Parker Fleming and I had another wonderful 30 minute, basically one-on-one conversation because the way this happened is Parker Fleming came up there and like, well, we don't want to start with Parker Fleming and make like Parker Fleming have to be batting off like 40 different reporters at the same time. So they waited till Larry Johnson came and then it was like, okay, Larry Johnson at one table, Parker Fleming at the other. So you two guys are the beat guys. So I'll take like whoever is the least important guy. No offense to the special teams coach. So you both go to Larry Johnson. Mm-hmm. So I go to Parker Fleming. So I'm at Parker Fleming. Hey, Jaden Fielding, is he going to be the kicker? Is it going to be Parker Lewis? Like there's a competition there. That's a thing. You're replacing Noah Ruggles. And then other coaches started to come out. And so then you guys disperse. And then everybody leaves Parker Fleming. And so then on behalf of the beat, I can either, because people drop their recorders, they leave them there, they set up cameras. I can either stay and ask Parker Fleming another 20 minutes of questions about special teams that might help somebody write a story or gain information in July, or I can leave. But if I leave, Parker Fleming is leaving. So I stay. And then I miss everything. I just... We, I have so much information about the process of becoming a gunner at Ohio State. It is unbelievable. I said, do you have like a team meeting? And you say, all the gunners, meet me in the corner after this meeting. He's like, no, that's not how we do it. I was like, well, that seems like a thing that I would do. 
But they, we had, like the process, I'm like, 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 how do you get guys? You have a bunch of fast corners and a bunch of fast receivers. How do you decide who might make a good gunner? Because it's been like an all-star team of gu- 25 minutes. I know everything there is to know about Jaden Fielding and Parker Lewis. Jaden Fielding is scrawny. He's only 175 pounds, but he's adding weight with Coach Mick. Parker Lewis is ripped. He's 220. Those are the two kicker candidates. By the way, it's important because I don't know if you guys noticed what happened the last time a kicker was on the field for Ohio State. So, yes, quarterback competition, very important. Real kicker competition underway. So I'll tease you with that. We'll talk about it on a later podcast. But, Nathan, is that okay? Like, can we just – because we kind of go with the flow. We make we just want to be as many places as possible. We all have different things we're doing. You guys write many more stories than I do, so it is not as important for me to be at a bunch of other places. But I've logged like a good like 65 minutes of hardcore special teams talk the last two times we've done this, and I just would like to branch out a little bit. And also I think Parker Fleming maybe wants to kill me. It's also <laughs> well, for him. He's like, please leave me alone. And by the way, I know the last time you and I did this, you turned it into a 30-minute podcast questioning whether I should even have a job. Now, he actually didn't say that, and I don't know if he knows that, but he didn't act like it. He was very pleasant. We had a very lovely conversation. I thought he provided good information about Ohio State special teams, but he doesn't want to see me again. We also didn't get the specialists or Parker Fleming, I don't believe, in the spring. I know we didn't talk to the specialists. So, um... Uh... No, we didn't. Wow. So I mean, that I guess was, so that would have been like in February when we did like a postseason yeah. round of assistance. Right? That's when yeah. you talked to him, right? That's when you had like the long heart to heart with him. Yes. I want to make sure that people don't think that Stephen and I were telling you to go talk to him in the first place. Like you had complete freedom of when to, <laughs> when to yeah. go to and or leave that table. So uh, I, you know, I think I agree that uh, maybe yes, we we should assign you to someone else. Next time we have one of these roundtables, maybe you just can, maybe you can just go to Justin Justin Fry. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, go. I'm good. Anybody, I would I like I, I went to Tim Walton at the coaches clinic, and I just thought Tim Walton was breaking down corner stuff. I thought mm-hmm. it was really interesting. I was like, oh, maybe I'll go talk to Tim Walton. And I was like, I can't leave. I was like the I was like the last guy. It's like it's it's me or it's nobody. This guy's leaving. He's leaving if I leave. It's a lot of pressure. Maybe other guys on the beat could actually care about special teams 4%. Rest of Ohio State beat. Oh, let me go talk to the offensive coordinator. Like that matters. Special teams. Also, by the way, special teams probably won't exist in football in like four more years. That's happening at Browns camp right now. Like all the stories at a Browns camp are like, hey, we talked to the kicker and the special teams coach about whether they should not do this thing that's limiting kickoffs. And guess what? They're against it. Oh, are they? <laughs> the one that their jobs aren't going to exist? Yeah. Oh, I definitely think guys should run at 90 miles an hour and conk their heads together like coconuts so I can keep my job. Or it's like, you know what? We could just give everybody the ball for 20. Nobody cares. Nobody's showing up for special teams plays. Yeah. I'm sorry to tell people. So that's foot, college football's not quite there. I mean, like it's not like they just made a change like the NFL did. But the idea of asking it's if you're asking, well, it's like you're asking you're asking newspaper writers if newspapers should exist. I was trying to it's think of a that. job. It's literally the same thing. It's no, it's like horse and buggy salesman not sure about this whole car thing. <laughs> Story yeah. eleven. But I didn't. I don't want to do that to horse and buggy salesmen because we are living it. We have lived it. Our industry is folded up tent yep. around us. So, but I would do podcasts. Then it's fine. Okay. We'll come back. We got some other stuff planned. We got a big, 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 big thing planned. 
And we have some good, there's some camp stuff coming in June that Steven's going to be out there. We'll be talking about camp stuff. We have, we'll drop some rapid fires on you guys coming up. We have a good thing about how Ohio State fans should view titles. That's off of texture question. If you want to ask questions and give us ideas for podcast 614-350-3315 is how you can sign up for a two-week free trial then. But for now, I think that will wrap up sort of what we learned from this round of assistant interviews on Tuesday. Although I might still drop a little bit of Parker Fleming information because he was kind enough to pass it out to me when I wouldn't leave him alone. So maybe we'll talk about it more in a future podcast. For now, though, for Stephen Means and for Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.